Wow. Well, hello again. It's amazing, isn't it, to hear what's going on across the town, across the church. There's always a screwdriver up here. I think someone's trying to kill me. What's this? Finish me off proper later. Well, if you have a Bible with you, can you turn to 1 Timothy? It's come up on the screen behind me as well. Let me just take a few moments to get myself straight here. Just so good to hear what's going on. So good to hear what's going on. Great time of worship. Oh man, so so important just to get into God's presence. Just to encounter God, encounter Jesus afresh. That's what I pray will happen even as I speak this morning. That you would, whoever you are, wherever you're from, you'd meet with him. You'd meet with Jesus this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going through a series in Timothy. I'm not going to give you any background. Go online if you want some background. We're a lot of the way into this series. We're on chapter 4 now. I'm just going to get stuck straight in. We're going to read from the Bible text. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. You can follow along. I'm going to read it from the screen myself. So if you can chuck that up. Here we go. This is starting from verse 13. And this is Paul writing, a guy called Paul writing to a chap called Timothy. A very personal letter. He says, until I come, Timothy, until I come to you, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect the gift which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, he says. Persevere in these things because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're such a great father. And I thank you, you've got great things for us. Thank you that as Joe came to the microphone early and said, just a glimmer of how deep your love is, that's what I pray will happen this morning, that your bottomless love, your uncontrollable love, your never-ending love would just come and rush in all over us today. Pray we'd meet with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in four verses... I think we've got some principles we can learn from and some principles we can apply to our lives. Whoever you are, four verses, I'm going to draw out four principles. Principle one, devote yourself. Verse 13, Paul says, until I come to you, Timothy, because he is coming, I might be delayed, but until I come, I want you to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and to teaching. Now, devoted means being dedicated or committed. Maybe enthusiastic or keen is another way of looking at it. That's what it means to be devoted, that you're committed and you're dedicated to something. And then Paul rolls out three things that Timothy is to be dedicated to, committed to. Firstly, the public reading of Scripture. Now, the Bible, this... The scriptures is God's word to us. God, the creator of everything known, 
the creator of everything unknown as well. It's his word to us. And it's God's absolute and ultimate authority. It's our authority. These scriptures have been passed down from one generation to another, to another and then to another. Through hundreds of years, the Bible has just been rolled down from one generation to another. And we're now in 2012, and we've got people publicly reading scripture, maybe at the microphone, maybe in a Sunday morning church context. It's God's word. That's why it's read. Now, in the Old Testament, the public reading of God's word or his scriptures was crucial. That's how they learnt. It wouldn't be like today that we'd live individualistic lives and we read on our own. Just to let you know, I've been reading this. It would be much more of a community-based thing. So the whole of Israel would gather around and someone would read. A leader, a priest would tell them what God was saying. That's how God's truth was communicated. Many of you have heard of a guy called Moses. Now Moses was a special guy because he could see God, he could hear from God and he was the one that God used as a vehicle to speak to his people, God's people. So Moses would go up to a hill, up a pretty large hill, a mountain, and he'd hear from God. Many of you heard of the Ten Commandments, right? He received all these laws. And then he said, Moses, go and tell my people this is how they're to live. So Moses would be the representative for God between God and man, he'd stand and publicly declare what God was saying. We also have priests in the Old Testament that would take the law of God and read to the people. And in the New Testament, Jesus reads the scriptures aloud. We see this in Luke's Gospel. A chap called Luke was one of Jesus' followers. And in Luke's account, it says this, he, talking of Jesus, he went from Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, similar to like our church setting. He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus was a Jew. It was his custom. And he stood up to read. In Acts, we have a guy called Barnabas, alongside this chap, Paul. And they had before the Jewish council... And it says this in Acts 15, for Moses has been preached in every city. So because Moses was honoured, he was a man of God, the words of Moses were preached in every city from the earliest times and they are read. Hear that? They're read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Current day examples. Now, humour me, right? But the first thing that came to mind is like a town crier. You know those town criers, those annoying guys? I find them annoying because they suddenly shout, Hear ye! Hear ye! With a massive white beard. That's what they look like, in my mind. But they're to capture everyone's attention. Maybe a better example would be the Queen herself, the Queen's speech on every channel across the nation. Suddenly, 1pm, whenever it was, now an address from Her Majesty the Queen. Man, it makes you proud, doesn't it? Even though I'm half Greek, it makes me proud. (laughs) This is what they're saying. Listen up. There's something really important that needs to be shared. Maybe the president or the prime minister has a public address. These are really, really important things, right? But what I want to say is it's nothing 
compared to the authority that is in here, in God's word. We take it for granted, people. Just to be able to open the word of God, the very words of God. Not the queen, I honour our queen. Not the president, he's a great guy. I'm talking about the king above all kings. The creator of the earth. He's got something to tell us. That's why it's important to read his word publicly. What does his word do to us? Well, it reminds us that it is his authority. Sometimes we come off the boil. Sometimes we get a bit, whoa, whoa, I'm getting a bit skewed off here. Sometimes we follow funny things. God's word gets us back on track. As soon as something bonkers comes, all you need to do is open the word of God. You might get to a funny place, but you need to find out where God's leading, where he's going. So it reminds us his authority, it builds us up, it keeps us on track, like I said. It reveals God's truth, in doing so tells us what is false, tells us what is fake. It's the washing. It says in the word that we are washed by his word. It washes over us. Have you ever felt that? Like you've been completely cleansed from God's word. Because it's so pure, it's so precious, it's so beautiful. It confronts us, yeah, but it also washes us. It directs and guides us through the choppy waters of life. God's word cuts through it all. It's effectively a message from our Father in heaven, your Father in heaven, to you. From the creator of the universe, that Joe was saying earlier, the the cosmos itself. Billions of light years. Big. It's a message from that God to us. Be devoted to these things. The public reading of God's word. Be devoted to preaching. Now the ESV... Bible translation, it translates preaching as exhortation. That simply means the the urging or appealing. So preaching is to instruct someone, to urge them, to appeal to them. We don't just read about it, we also need to preach it. I need to appeal to you this morning. I'm not trying to give you head knowledge. I want to appeal to your very conscience I want to appeal to the the most innermost being within you. I want to urge you to look at Jesus this morning. That's that's my goal. Now the act of preaching is central to church life. It's absolutely crucial to our future. We are never not going to preach the word of God. Some people, I think, are misunderstood when they say, why don't we not have preaching this morning, just an extended time of worship? I would lovingly and honestly say, I don't think that's right. I think preaching has always been God's vehicle to change lives. Yeah, we encounter him in worship, absolutely. Did you sense him this morning? Although it's brief, we only have a short time. Absolutely but I want you to encounter him as I preach to you this morning. It's his vehicle. The proclamation, the declaration, the, the, the exhortation of God's word, the gospel, is what will change your life. It's what has changed my life. The earliest disciples were instructed to preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. Not just stand around in a holy huddle singing to each other. That's wonderful. Preach the kingdom. 
Go from region to region. Go through Hastings, folks. Preach the kingdom. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Go to St. Leonard's and let them know. Go downtown and preach the gospel. Preaching God's word is so crucial. We are just like the earliest disciples. We have got the same commission, go. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the kingdom. Also devoted to teaching. So we've got devoted to reading, devoted to preaching, devoted to teaching. Acts 2 tells us that the disciples were devoted to many things, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and also to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to it. The scriptures, this Bible needs to be taught. It is not full of riddles. It's not full of only certain people can understand. People are gifted to teach it, but it is here. God's word is this common man like me can understand it. We need to teach the scriptures. I need to teach you the scriptures. Good teaching describes what these mean. It will explain who Jesus is, who God is. It will explain it. Good teaching does that. It doesn't leave you thinking, well, that was a lot of kind of hot air. It leaves you thinking, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what that means. It might be a mystery, but it quickens you in some way. Good teaching means that we are able to correctly apply the word of truth to our lives. Timothy was a man encouraged to be a man that correctly handles the word of truth. I love that. My father-in-law gave me a massive book a few years ago and in it he says, I pray that you are a man who correctly handles the word of truth. And it's been with me ever since. Timothy is a man approved by God and he's encouraged to correctly handle it. So I look at that as correctly teaching it. Now in Acts 8, a book in the Bible, there's a guy called Philip and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch in a carriage reading from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now Philip, this is current day paraphrase, right? Hey, what are you doing, buddy? I'm just reading Isaiah, I can't really understand it. So Philip sits with him and explains exactly what it means. In doing so, he reveals Jesus through these scriptures Now this Ethiopian eunuch was saved, became a Christian and then Philip baptised him in a river. Amazing! Wouldn't you love that? You're in Tesco's, see someone just reading Corinthians. I wonder what I must do to get saved. Hey, what are you reading there? Let Let me show you how you can correctly handle that. In Nehemiah... It says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning to all the people so they could understand what was being read. It's no good just shouting about it. It's no good just reading it. It's all important. We need to correctly handle it and correctly apply it in context to our lives. Important point here, we don't change the word either. We don't change this. That's what gives us security, okay? That's what should give you security, me and Paul and other men that preach here, that we are not going to change what this says. So help me, God. We change ourselves to fit around this. This is my authority here and it's your authority as well. It's our authority. Paul says, devote yourselves to these things reading, the public reading of scripture, the preaching and teaching. 
I want to set you an example, church. Sorry, I want to set you a challenge. Let's be always having these on us. Let's be ready in this context and in other contexts to come forward and say, do you know what? I feel I just want to read this psalm, these few verses. Maybe not Psalm 119, we'll be here all day. Maybe just a couple of verses. I want to read from Ephesians. I just feel to read from Corinthians here. It's beautiful. I'm all for prophecy. I'm all for people feeling I've got a word from the Lord and all that. Do you know what, though? I'd love to see more of the public reading of Scripture just washing over us as a church. Principle two. Look after your gift. Verse 14, it says, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophetic message when a body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, to neglect means to not care for something properly. Yes, not rocket science this morning. It means to disregard or to abandon, to be careless, to be given something and then just go, oh, I wonder where I've put that. Yeah, car keys, iPod, mobile. We can be neglectful with God, God's gifts. And Paul says, Timothy, look after your gift. Look after your gift. Don't be careless with it. Where have you put it? Don't be careless. Firstly, I think we've got to uh, recognise these gifts. And a gift is something that's given to you. I absolutely... You're probably like me. I'd think you're a bit weird if you say no to this. Do you love getting a gift? I haven't seen anyone say no. I love it. I've heard it's one of my love languages. So, gifts, come on. Love it, absolutely love it. I love getting gifts and I love giving gifts. It does something, doesn't it? But I love getting gifts. As a father, I love giving my children gifts. I love it. Absolutely adore it. It thrills my heart. My son is older than my daughter. My daughter kind of goes, oh, nice, and tries to eat it. So she has no idea what you're giving her. Money, whatever, just in the mouth. Whereas Tom, he's very specific. I like a true uh, rebel troop blaster ship, whatever it might be. Something to do with Jedi Knights, all right, from Star Wars. He's very specific. I love giving him gifts. But this is how it works in my house. My children do chores. Daughter's not really sure what she's doing at the moment, but she's following her brother. Now, my son clears the table every dinner time. That's his chore. And on a Friday, he gets a pound. Yeah. Yeah, I'm generous. <laughs> One pound. Do the lawn, do our washing, ironing. Can I only give you 50p today, son? Sorry. One pound, right? I want to teach him something about helping in the family. But this is how it works. You do your chores, you earn your gift. That's not how God works. You were hoping I'd say that. That's not absolutely not how God works. I work like this. Well done, son. Here's your pound. That's not, absolutely not, how God does it. God gives gifts freely. Daniel, freely. He's got gifts for you, brother. His gifts are unearned and completely unmerited and undeserved. These gifts are not based on merit, behaviour, skill. They're not based on you doing your chores. In the name of Jesus, get rid of that religious spirit. Because we've all got it. I've got to do something. I've got to do my Christian chores. No. 
That's not how God gives his gifts. As a loving father, God gives his children gifts because he loves us. I'm told in the scriptures that I'm not a perfect father, but I'm told in the scriptures that God is. And I love giving my kids gifts. How much more does he love it when he sees me grinning and peaceful and joyful and he just wants to go, here, have some of that. Have some more. They are from a father, a loving father to his children. Now, there's a lot of gifts. And uh, what are they? Some of you might be asking. I've typed out a list and we see in the New Testament mainly, in, in 1 Corinthians, in a book called Romans and also a place called Ephesians, that there seems to be like a table of gifts that are presented to us. And I don't think it's exhaustive. I do think that God will do whatever he needs to do and give whatever he needs to give, but I think we've got a model here. Just going to read them quickly. We've got a gift of prophecy. So God, this is what God gives, right? Gift of prophecy. The gift of faith to people. Helps or service. The gift to be able to teach. The gift in encouragement, in generosity, in leadership. Mercy, in wisdom, in knowledge. Gift of healing. Yeah, the gift of healing. The gift of miracles. Wouldn't you love to see more of that? Just, hello, I'm Sam and I have the gift of miracles. Fancy getting together? The gift of discernment. The ability to distinguish between good and evil. The gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Administration. The gift of an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist. That means someone that can describe Jesus to others. And pastors and teachers. There's many more. But we get, this is what they are, special talents and abilities, special skills that God gives us. How do they come? Well, for Timothy here, it was through a prophetic message, through the message of God while these guys laid their hands on him. He was commissioned by other elders. There was something through God working through people, them laying their hands on, and God spoke. That's what prophecy means, God speaking. That's how Timothy got it. But ultimately, this is the only way it comes through the risen Jesus Christ. It says in the scriptures that it was he who gave, the ascended one, the one that has risen from the dead and is now in glory, that one. It is him who gives out gifts, the one that was crucified for my sin, the one that rose from the dead and the one that now goes, here's a lot of grace stuff for you guys. Have some of that. I'm going to give you to be a pastor. I'm going to give you to be a prophet and an evangelist. And you, I want you to have the gift of generosity and you, wisdom, and you, miracles. Yeah, Rob, right at the back. Right at the back, wisdom. That's what God does. He sees us wherever we are. None of us are hidden. And he just starts spreading out gifts. In Ephesians, it says, it was he who gave. 1 Corinthians, it says, the Spirit gives just as he determines. It's all on God. It's all his end. It is not our end. Get rid of the chores. Get rid of your behaviour. Live well, you know. Don't try and match up. Just receive. Just receive what God has got for you. Now, our gifts will vary from person to person. We're all different. In Romans 12, it says we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Listen to that. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. 
You are different than me. I can hear some of you saying amen. And I am different than you. Thank goodness. We are all wonderfully different. My gifts will differ from yours and vice versa. We need to rest secure in how God has made us and how God has fashioned you, how God has crafted you. You're like a bit of clay in God's hands and he's made you to be you. Many of you, I believe, have probably carried for years this sense of underachievement or lack of self-worth or whatever it might be. God has made you to be you. To be you. Celebrate that. Rest secure right there. Because what you've got, I haven't got. And what I've got, you haven't got. We're all very unique. Once we've recognised a gift, okay, we need to look after it. It says, do not neglect. Don't neglect it. Don't let it get dusty and rusty. It's so easy to neglect things. We can get blasé. We can just forget about it. Sit back. We can get lazy. We can all be like that. All of us. In 2 Timothy, it says, for this reason, Paul's still writing to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let's not store away what God has given us, but instead get it out. Get it out. Fan it into flame. Get the embers. If it feels like there's embers, blow on them again. Fan it into flame. It's a gift of God to you. What are the gifts for? Well, they're for building up the church. Our gift, my gift, is to bless you. It's not for me. It does bless me, but it blesses you. That's the point. Our gifts are to be used for the common good, it says in Corinthians. For the common good. For our good. In Ephesians, again, it says, our gifts are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ, the whole church, will be built up and reach maturity. Our different gifts working together are building God's beautiful church. The way God has wired me and the way God has wired this young man here, we're working together to build, not in conflict, we're complementing, okay? We're working together, we're being gathered together as gifts to build God's house. So what you've been given, don't tuck it away, get it out. Also, it's not yours to have an unhelpful hold on. So you've got to get it out, but it's not then yours to go, mine, mine. You seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah, you know where I'm going. The ring? My precious. I can hear you whispering, yeah. It spooked me out a little bit, actually. It's like, ugh. Precious, yeah. That's not what it's about. This is, this is me. It's my gift. I need to, I need to exercise it now. My, my precious, no. This is the tension we face. We are charged to nurture it, to fan it into flame and develop and strengthen it and nurture it, but at the same time we hold it lightly. We hold it loosely in our hands and say, well, if God has given it, he can take it. He's God. So it's not mine, I didn't design it, God did. Hold it loosely. Please don't be someone that's yeah, I'm just, this is who I am. Yeah. But you can't have any. It's there to build up God's house. The gift must not become the God. Our focus needs to be on the giver. 
and not on the gift. So I want to ask you a question. What has God given you? Are you using it? Are you using what God has given you? Or is it collecting dust? Maybe it's time to get it off the shelf. Principle three. Be diligent. Verse 15 says, Be diligent in all these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Diligence means to be persistent and hard-working, to be thorough, attentive and maybe careful. And in the ESV translation it says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. So once you've found your gift, what God has given you, into flame, you need to keep that thing burning. Keep that thing alight. I've got these words here, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I was going to sing it. Ready? No, you're not ready. You want to sing? Let's do it. Ready? One, two, three. This little light of mine, come on. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Okay, that's enough. That's awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Yeah, I've got the gift of encouragement. Chill, chill. <laughs> Take it easy. We've got to let this light shine. We've got to let the gift that God has given us shine. And to let it shine, we've got to get it down and polish it. We've got to play with it. <laughs> we've got to exercise it. We've got to strengthen it. We've got to develop it. Nurture it well. Jesus tells of a parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Basically, people are given things from a landowner, from someone, and they're to steward them. And some people do it very badly, and others people do it very well. Jesus gives us a principle there. Those that steward, steward well will be given more. And it goes well for them. With all that you've been given, steward it well. I want to use my son as an example again. I love this dude so much. He stewards all of his gifts extremely well. He sleeps with them. He wakes up with them. He goes to bed as a Jedi. He wakes up as a Jedi. He goes to bed the day after as a clone trooper. He wakes up as a clone trooper. Everything he is, he encompasses. I get home, he's, it's like the Pink Panther, Kato and the Pink Panther, right? He jumps out on me, blasting me with stuff. His gift becomes who he is. Because he's always got it. He's always playing. He's always playing. And when he's given something, he stewards it very well. What I want you to see is we want to be the same, right? What you've been given, steward it well. Nurture it. Don't neglect it. Be diligent. Play with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Recognise what God's given you. Be humble in it, but don't be falsely humble. Recognise how God has made you. Janelle, you're a fantastic musician. God is going to use you massively. Steward it well. Nurture that gift within you. That kind of thing, right? This diligence is for a purpose and the purpose is that everyone might see your progress. The key here is progress and not perfection. We're not looking for perfection, otherwise we'd be closed. We're looking for progress. Hopefully you've seen progress in my life. Hopefully I'm seeing progress in your lives. Progress and not perfection that people might look and see that our faith is real, that Jesus is real, that he's really changing us. 
that we model these things carefully, persistently, in a hard-working fashion, not religiously, but carefully, steward it well. The goal is that we're not impressed with each other. The goal must never be that I look at you and go, well, buddy, you're doing well. Look how amazing you are. And I don't ever want people to go, well, Sam, we've been checking you out. You're pretty incredible. And you don't have the attitude as, hey, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal around here. Welcome, everyone. No. The idea is that we don't look at each other and say, wow, look at how amazing you are. The idea is that we look at one another and say, look at how incredibly awesome Jesus is. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done with San. Look how amazing he is. Look at what he's done with Heath. Look at what he's done with us. Look at what he's taken and crafted. And it's that through us, the gospel and the kingdom is seen to be progressing and advancing. That's the progress that we're to see. Not that just our own little lives are going well, that the gospel is advancing. It says in Matthew, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I love this principle. The whole point is that people see the progress of God, the progress of Jesus. When this church started, there was a handful of people. We've seen the progress of the gospel, amen? We've seen it, we're living in it. And we're going to see it even more into the future. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be pain, but we're going to have a lot of fun. So, question, is the gospel advancing in your life? Is it advancing in you? Is it changing you? Is it advancing who you are, your character, everything that you do? And is it advancing around you? Are you oozing the gospel? Are people seeing Jesus, basically? Last principle, principle four. Watch and persevere. Verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life, your life, and your doctrine. In the ESV it says, keep a close watch of yourself. Now it's easy to tell others what to do. It's so easy. We're all in the same camp. It's easy to say, watch out. Just, just watch out. Watch what you're doing. It's easy to think, well, I hope they're listening. As a husband, it's easy to think, I hope she's listening. As a wife, I hope they're listening. As a mum, I hope they're listening. As a friend, I hope John's listening to this. I hope you're listening to this. I hope I'm listening. The challenge for us all is that we keep a hold of ourselves. That we keep a check on our own lives. Timothy, make sure you watch what sort of person you're becoming. There's a great quote here by a guy called Tom Wright. What sort of person are you becoming? Are you like someone that's giving classes on car maintenance while still driving around in a dangerous, battered old banger? Are you like a music teacher, too busy to tune your own violin? That's silly. Are you like a leader of a mountain expedition who's forgotten to bring their own boots? What about you? What sort of person have you become? Are you becoming... It's easy to just go through the motions. It's easy to do the church thing. It's easy to just go to a community group. It's easy to say and do and behave the right way. It's easy to get involved with all that's happening and still miss it by a million miles. 
In Matthew's Gospel, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, these are Jesus' words, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, did I not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I will t- tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's great to stumble across that in your devotional time. A person can do all the right stuff and still not be saved. You can miss the gospel. You can miss that great pearl. You can say good stuff, you can give good stuff away, you can do all sorts of charity, but you can miss it. I don't want anyone to be in that camp At the end of verse 16 it says persevere in these things, Timothy, because if you do you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now what on earth does that mean? I'm using this guy, a guy called John Stott to help us here. I'd I'd used it on a whole page but I thought I'm just going to read a short paragraph that will sum this little section up. Persevere in them because if you do you'll save yourself and your hearers. What on earth does that mean? Did not Paul repeatedly insist that salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone? Has he suddenly gone berserk and contradicted himself? Has he forgotten his own assertions about God our Saviour and about Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners? No, of course he hasn't. Salvation always and everywhere originates not in us but only in the grace and mercy of God. Nevertheless, the reality of our salvation has to be demonstrated in good works of love. It is in this sense that Paul tells us to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. These, sorry, only those who persevere till the end will be saved. Perseverance is not the merit, but rather the ultimate evidence of salvation. Secondly, how could Timothy save his hearers? Surely only God could save them through Christ. Yes, but the New Testament not infrequently ascribes salvation to evangelists. Remember, those people gifted to share the good news? Since in and through the gospel they preach, God saves believers. So the ascended Christ could tell Paul that he was sending him to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn their dark hearts to light and from the power of Satan to God. Similarly, he became all things. Remember Paul, I become all things in order that by all means possible I might save some. Of course, Paul could not and did not save anybody, nor could Timothy. What I want you to see here is that this is what's at work. Timothy, stick the course. Stick the course. You've been saved by the gospel, hold on to the gospel and never let go. Persevere. Because it's that perseverance that will save you right at the end. Make sure you get it in yourself, make sure you get this doctrine yourself and make sure you get it into your hearers also. Teach only the gospel of grace that is found in Jesus Christ. That salvation alone comes through him. It says in the Bible that he is the only way to the Father. So your responsibility, Timothy, our responsibility, my responsibility is to preach the gospel. The gospel of grace. 
to teach Jesus that man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. There is nothing else that saves you. That's it. Now this is the Gospel, just in case you've never heard it. A few sentences. That Jesus Christ came into the world as God. His God became flesh. He came into the world to relate to us. To be familiar with our ways. And then it says he died on a Roman cross for the sins of the whole world. Yours and mine. And that he was taken down from the cross. He was buried in the tomb. And three days later he rose from the dead. And he is alive today. And that whoever believes in him, whoever turns from their life to him and receives him by faith will be saved. They will receive brand new and eternal life and it's a done deal forever. That's good news. That's what I've done. That's what many here have done. How about you? Timothy, stick the course. Preach the gospel. Sam, Paul, King's Church, stick the course. Preach the gospel of grace. Grace alone through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. It says in Acts, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So I'm going to finish with this scripture from Matthew. I was wondering, Alice and the band, could you come up? We're going to finish by singing one last song together. But I'm going to finish with this scripture. It says in Matthew's Gospel, Therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and it beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Do you know why? Because that rock is Jesus. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Let's stand together. So I'm going to close and I'm going to pray and then we're just going to sing one song as our worship response to Jesus. I want to encourage you, dedicate your whole life to him. Jump in, two-footed. Humble yourself before him. Be open to his word. Be open to his word. Let him mould you. Let him shape you. Let him teach you. Fan what God has given you back into flame. So maybe as we're singing here, this is your opportunity to say, God, all that I am, all that you've given me, I want to bring it back to the surface again. I want to live for you. Be diligent in all that you do. Hard-working, persistent. Keep fanning it into flame. Guard what you take in. Guard the gospel around you. Guard the gospel around others. Remember that it's the gospel that saved you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your incredible mercy and grace. And I pray even now, as we sing, as we worship you, I pray, would you speak to us? Would you reveal yourself to us in a very beautiful and brilliant way? And we ask this for your good name's sake. Amen.